Dig a Bit, a podcast for women who want to dig into the meat of God's Word for a bit. We are glad you have taken a few minutes out of your day to listen. Our host is Cindy Colley from thecolleyhouse.org. Now grab your Bible and let's dig in. Hi, I hope you're having a good day. I want to take a few minutes to just make a little bit of an addendum to the video podcast this month. Maybe you've already watched it. You may want to already, you may want to watch it before you listen to this little addendum. But last night there was a comment that gave us just a little bit of controversy. um, And I wanted to just expound on that just a little bit today to be sure that I was not unclear about what I was thinking about the second commandment. We read in Exodus 20 verse 4, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them for I the Lord thy God am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Well, I guess I thought if we were going to have a controversy, it would be over the last part of verse 5. But it seems that um, verse 4 is just what we want to concentrate on today. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness, similitude, any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Some translations do translate graven image as idol. Thou shalt not make unto thee any idol. But still we have to follow with the words, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or the earth beneath, or the water under the earth. So last night I want to be clear that when I said that I believed that it was sinful for them to carve any of the images listed in verse 4 to carve a duck to carve the sun and the moon and the stars to carve um, the snakes or fish or frogs that when I said that I believe it is a sin it was a sin for them to do that that I was expressing an opinion I was expressing my judgment and maybe I expressed it too strongly but that is what I believe the verse to mean and I wanted to give you just a little bit of insight on why I think that. However, I do understand that the passage is sandwiched in between two verses about verse 3. Our God is singular. He is, it is a monotheistic religion in which we participate. And verse 5, The other piece of the bread on the sandwich is that we don't bow down to images. We don't worship and serve those likenesses. So it is just my judgment that the what seems to me pretty clear language in verse 4 would prohibit not only the bowing down but also the making of those images and I just want to comment just a little bit on that but if you disagree with me I think you can go to heaven I'm not the ju- the judge of course but that is my humble opinion about the verse is that they weren't to make any of those 
I'm going to call them amulets or likenesses is what the Bible calls them of fish and birds and heavenly bodies and sea creatures. So the reason that, and I, I don't have to have really a reason for that, just reading the verse, that's what I would take from that. And I understand there are many people who disagree and that's fine, but as I think about it, I do understand that the Egyptian culture was just rife with idolatry and images of things that were found in nature. And I, I do believe that if an Israelite coming out of Egyptian bondage, having been exposed to that for all of his or her lifetime, seeing people worshiping images of fish and sun and serpents and cattle and frogs if i was coming out of that culture and someone saw me wearing a frog around my neck someone in the heathen culture through which i was traveling and to which i was going in canaan would have looked at that and probably thought it is my opinion that they would have probably thought, wow, you know, this person's been affected by the idolatry in Egypt. This person is making a nod to that idolatry. That's just my opinion about it. When I was reading about Egypt, the likeness of any beast, behama, behema is that word, uh, like the ox and the heifer. The Egyptians uh, viewed the ox as not only sacred, but adored because they thought that in one of these animals, Osiris, the god, was taking up his residence. So they always had a living ox, which they uh, supposed to be where Osiris, the god, was living inside this ox. And they imagined that when their ox died, he entered the body of another ox and so on successively. So that famous ox god was called Apis. Then God says, the likeness of any winged fowl, the ibis or the stork or the crane or the hawk might be involved in what God is saying here for Egyptians worshiped all of these birds. The likeness of anything that creepeth, we think about crocodiles or serpents, uh, beetles, they were all objects of worship in Egypt. It's probable that even the frog itself was a sacred animal because when, you know, it, it inflated with the what we call the bubble in its throat, they thought that that was prophetic influence and the god was inflated or its body was dis distended um, by the oration that that god was trying to give us, give them. The likeness of any fish, all fish, were sacred animals among the Egyptians. One particular fish um, had a temple devoted to it and divine honors paid to it. Another fish called Phagrus was worshipped at Syene, according to uh, Clemens Alexandrinus in uh, one of his writings. Um, you can look all of these things up just as well as I can, but... In short, oxen, heifers, sheep, goats, lions, dogs, monkeys, and cats. The ibis, the crane, the hawk, the crocodile, serpents, frogs, flies, and, and beetles. 
the Nile and all of its fish, so the actual river and its fish, the sun, the moon, the planets, and the stars, fire, light, air, darkness, and night were all objects of Egyptian idolatry, very well-known objects of Egyptian idolatry, and all were included in this prohibition as is detailed both in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in the heavens above or the earth beneath or the water under the earth. And to me, the reason becomes self-evident when you look at the various objects of Egyptian idolatry. It is my opinion, and it I am just opining. This is not, um, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but when I look at this verse, I believe that it was wrong for them to not only bow down to them, but also to make them, to wear them, to have them out in the yard, because I think it made them look idolatrous to the people around them. Whereas I, in my living room right now, up on top of one of the beams that goes across my ceiling, there's a carved wooden duck. I never even thought about that until this particular study. I have no compunction to worship that duck or even to think about it in any sort of terms above a chunk of wood. It is a chunk of wood. And I, I believe because of the absence of such a prohibition in the New Testament that it's fine for me to have that chunk of wood up there. I don't believe that anyone comes to my house and looks up at that fowl and says, oh, I wonder if Cindy Colley is idolatrous. I don't think that happens in our American culture today. I think whether I was worshiping it or not, if I had a statue of Buddha up on my beam that goes across my living room and someone walked in that I did not know, that had never met me before, they might look at that statue and say, hmm, I wonder if she's Buddhist. I wonder if she has taken on that Eastern religion. I think they would think that because of what that symbolizes in our culture. And I think the wearing of or the placing of these animals listed here and the sun, moon, and stars and the Nile, I think because of all of that, in the culture in which these Israelites were were living just coming out of Egypt, when people looked at a particular fish that in Egypt had been revered as deity, I think if they saw that around your neck as an Israelite, then they might indeed think that you had been influenced and were a part of idolatrous worship in that present day. That is my thinking. It is only my judgment. I get that. Now, I also wanted to just mention that um, I, I do know about the cherubims and about how that God commanded that on the mercy seat that those cherubims be built for his temple and also that altars be built. So let's talk about that just for a minute. I know in Exodus 25, 
verse 18, you will make two cherubims of gold. Of beaten work you shall make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on the one end, the other cherub on the other end, even of the mercy seat. You will make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubims will stretch forth their wings on high. Sounds like a fowl. Covering the mercy seat with their wings and their faces will look one to another toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be and put the mercy seat above the ark and in the ark put the testimony that I'm going to give you. Well, you know, I do understand that God commanded these cherubim to be formed. First off, I would say that I don't think these were necessarily uh, likenesses of any earthly creature. So I don't think it would have prohibited the verse even if we're talking about a prohibition of the verse and an exception to the verse, I don't think God, I don't think that it would have prohibited that verse. That's just my judgment, of course. And in the second place, in Exodus chapter 31, verses 1 through 6, we see that God endowed a certain man with a spirit of wisdom. See, I've called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of work, workmanship to devise cunning works, to work in gold and silver and brass and cutting of stones. So here's a man who was accepted, at least, if, if this was a prohibition, he was a special servant chosen and given a miraculous power to craft, whereas otherwise he would not have known how to devise these cunning works in gold and silver and brass and cutting of stones. And he gave him an assistant, a holy ab, and he says, in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted, I have put wisdom that they may make all that I've commanded thee. So apparently it was a team of people with some miraculous knowledge to make these cherubim and other the tables the vessels of the tabernacle so when i think about them making those things for the tabernacle of god i do believe that that was a very special circumstance and i don't believe that exodus chapter 20 verse 4 was violated in this in the first place they weren't making any of those images that God had called out in Exodus chapter 20. And they were also given a special, miraculous, it seems to me, endowment as to how they were to craft these things. So I, I, don't, I don't think that these exceptions in the tabernacle have a bearing on my opinion about what Exodus chapter 20 verse 4 actually means. We look at also Deuteronomy 27 verses 5 and 6. You build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. That's when you crossed over the Jordan. But thou shalt not lift up any iron tool upon them. You build the altar of the Lord your God of whole stones, and you offer burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord your God. So they weren't even supposed to hew out or carve or put a tool to the stones as they laid them up after they came out of the Jordan River. We also see, let's look at Joshua 8 verse 31. Then Joshua built an altar unto the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, 
an altar of whole stones over which no man had lifted up any iron and they offered thereon burnt offerings unto the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. They weren't to put even to the altars to, to the Lord. They were not to put a tool. So I'm, I'm saying this to say, let's look at Exodus 20 verse 25. And if you make me an altar of stone, you will not build it of hewn stone. For if you lift up your tool upon it, you have polluted it. Neither shalt thou go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness be not discovered thereon. He did not want those altars to him to look like idolatrous places of worship. You know, when we talk about uh, the high places of um, Jeroboam, the um, heathen culture, the Canaanite-ish cult culture, it seemed like to elevate those images or those statues, the cows, the sheep, whatever it was they were putting up there, they liked to make those very big so that they could be seen from far away. And I've visited the uh, place where Jeroboam took the children of Israel and built the idol for the children of Israel. And it was, it's a magnificent spot, a high spot. And, and those altars even were called. God said, you know, your high places are an abomination to me. They, they put steps so that the priests or the people who were offering sacrifices had to climb. And it was rather a big, high statement. God didn't want that. God said, I want you to just use regular stones. I don't want you to put any tool to those stones. I say all of that to say that there were some arbitrary commands. You know, there were some, and, and by arbitrary commands, I mean, sometimes God says don't do something and he, he doesn't really tell us why. He doesn't really have to tell us why. We just figure it out. We just do it. And I think that to me, it seems that, I'm gonna say it's my judgment again, that Exodus 20 verse four is one of those, that this is an arbitrary command. We don't have to necessarily see all of the reasoning behind God's prohibition. Although, as I said, I think we can see some of the prohibition for making those graven images. But I point out what he said about the stones of his altar, just to say, God made the rules. He made all of the rules. And so they had to be careful not to use squared off stones in the building of those altars to God. I wanted us to also notice a couple of verses at the time of the construction of the temple. And I don't know how relevant these are, but in 1 Kings 6 verse 7, the temple was constructed using finished stones cut at the quarry so that no hammer, chisel, or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. They were not going to listen to any hammers or chisels or iron tools on those stones. In 1 Chronicles 22 verse 2, So David gave orders to gather the foreigners in the land of Israel from whom he appointed stone cutters to prepare finished stones for building the house of God. Why did he pick out foreigners? Was it okay for him to do that? I don't know, but he gathered foreigners in the land of Israel. 1 Chronicles 22 verse 2, and I guess he commanded foreigners to bring those stones so that the children of Israel wouldn't be lifting their tools. First Kings 7 verse 9 is about those stones again. 
But I bring all of these verses about these hewn stones in to just say that, I mean, that was a very, very clear command about the altar not to hew those stones. And I think that from that we see that God commanded some things that we don't necessarily see as being morally wrong. Sometimes he commanded things and those commands were just to be obeyed whether we exactly understood them or not. And I believe that uh, maybe, maybe Exodus 20 verse 4 may be in that category. I also wanted to mention that uh, the Roman Catholic Church in years past, and I'm not sure exactly what the stance is right now because as you know, the Pope changes his mind um, arbitrarily as he has done just this month and told us that homosexual civil unions are now accepted within Catholicism. So I'm not sure exactly what the stance on this is right now, but I do know that in years past, the Roman Catholic Church has taken away the second commandment, has just said, uh, we're just going to blend that in with command number one so we can be sure that we know that this is uh, not going to prohibit us from building our statues of uh, quote-unquote saints and of Mary, the Virgin Mother. We're going to build those statues and people are going to bow down and kiss those statues and worship those statues. And so we are going to say that the first commandment is all of verses 1 through 5. And then the, the second commandment is thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And we're doing that to try to minimize our breaking. They, they understood as they um, changed the ordering, I guess you would call it, the numbering of the Ten Commandments. They understood that that passage, verse 4, meant something and they wanted to minimize its meaning. And so they actually deleted, as it were, or blended in the second commandment with the first. So that the first commandment was no idol worship, no image worship. I guess, uh, well, actually they made the first command, thou shalt have no other gods before me, because they wanted to have this type of worship of Mary the statue of Mary and really of Mary herself. So they renumbered the Ten Commandments and left number two out and then split up number 10 so that they could still call them the Ten Commandments. And I just thought that was very interesting. All of this today to say that if I said, and maybe I did, that dogmatically that the prohibition of Exodus chapter 4 was the making of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. If that was a literal prohibition of making those things, even if no worship was intended, then I want to say that's my judgment about it. It's my judgment, it's my strong judgment because I believe if they wore a fish around their neck, a serpent around their neck, a frog around their neck, or had one of those sitting on the dining room table, I believe it would have looked like an Egyptian, more like an Egyptian idolatrous home. And so that is my judgment. That is what I think about the matter. However, it may be that in order to be a prohibition, there had to be the clear intent to worship such 
a statue. And if that's what you think, then that is that is great with me. I just believe that God was protecting his people from the temptation of idol worship. I think he was protecting his people from looking like they were involved in idol worship. And I think that that prohibition of even of making those things was for times of the Old Testament and not for today because we we have idolatry condemned in several places in the New Testament but we don't have the making of a wooden duck or a brass snake or the wearing of a turtle on a bracelet we don't have those things prohibited expressly in the New Testament as it seems to me they are prohibited in Exodus 20 verse 4 I hope this at least has been fun to think about for you. I hope that uh, you can see my reasoning behind this. And I, I really can't find very many commentators who would agree with me necessarily here. But just reading the text and thinking about it, to me it seems that this was a clear prohibition. I hope you have a great day. And I hope that overshadowing any discussion about Exodus 20 verse 4, we all take away the very important exclusivity, singularity of our God and that we realize that today our temptation is not necessarily in the tangible image but is more in the mental devotion, emotional devotion that we give to the gods of this world and that those are the thing those are challenging because I can't put my finger on it and say okay I'm out I'm done with this get this out of my house we have to work on our hearts and we have to work on our spirits and maybe that's why our new law is described as a law of the spirit uh, rather than a law of rites and rituals. I hope you have a great day for him, and I hope you conclude this study by the end of the month, which is coming up soon, and we will begin talking about Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain and all of its ramifications. Have a good one.